Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Hi, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners with another episode of our Edge podcast. And today, our guest is SK Reddy, who is the Chief Product Officer in AI at Hexagon. He's an entrepreneur and a technologist. And we're going to we're going to dive into uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and a whole bunch of other topics in this conversation. So really looking forward to it. SK, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Ed. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I've uh, I have some information that your uh, listeners would be interested in listening to. Well, there's there's uh, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, first of all, I would love to get a bit of context about what has shaped your view of the the artificial intelligence market, and and you know what uh, you know what what in your experience has has brought you to where you are today. Sure. Uh, I've been a techie all through my life. After I did my double masters, one in sociology, one in computer science. I've been working in tech industry and I've been developing a lot of solutions. Um, in the last uh, 10 years, I did two startups and I also worked for Apple. While doing these things, I have developed an interest to find out how to solve the problems that are affecting the humankind, especially using technology. Uh, how do I make it uh, easier, safer, simpler, uh, more efficient for human beings to live in this earth and also preserve the ecosystem? Uh, my two startups, I think, were in that direction, and some of the use cases I developed in uh, Apple were in that direction. Um, so I think it looks like it's a natural course of action for me to start continue to work on that, uh, and that, that's where I am right now. So the past has definitely influenced me to start doing something nice for this earth. You know, how do you how do you think about artificial intelligence? I mean, how do you how do you, how how would you define it? And you know, are there some uh, you know some some unique aspects of your experience that have that you know really color your view of of the market? Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence. I think I know we have been hearing uh, these this, these words uh, in the last few years a lot, and there is. Uh, 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 different schools of thought, uh, one which don't believe in it and one are suspicious and the other one is, I think, completely in favor. In my opinion, artificial intelligence is that collection of knowledge, uh, especially mathematical and statistical techniques, using which uh, and applying on lots and lots of data available in the organizations, with the organizations and in the uh, with the human beings today, and extracting additional wisdom. And that's what I would say is artificial intelligence. Um, the sci-fi movies that were created in the last few years, I think, has not definitely helped AI because there is, seems to be uh, a misconception about AI is going to take over the world. Uh, that's not the case. But uh, in, in my opinion, uh, I think uh, in a very simple language, AI is that uh, set of techniques that you can use to, to solve uh, complex problems which were no more be solvable um, using some of the erstwhile techniques like business intelligence and, and, and analytics. And that's where I think AI comes to rescue. Oh, that's great. So, how, you know, where do you, where do you apply AI and be interested, you know, from, from your perspective, if you could share a, a bit of, of the work that you do on a, you know, on a daily basis, how do you, how do you look at the research that's going on in the space and, and, and evaluate what, 
what's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So you asked me, where do you apply AI and how do you evaluate the AI? Now, AI could be applied in each and every aspect of human life and every type of industry and every type of company. Uh, I would say any task which used to be done by any type of technology could be done better using AI. And any of those tasks which were initially found to be almost impossible to be done can be done by AI now uh, efficiently and effectively. So the, the, the focus areas we have, my, my current focus is uh, to focus on Industry 4.0 type of use cases. So any uh, manufacturing, industrial context, construction, uh, power, ship, ma- ship construction, uh, building, factory construction, mining, agriculture, uh, geospatial systems, any type of Industry 4.0 solutions, we are applying AI, but it could be applied to other more popular areas like financial services, insurance services, uh, healthcare, and so many other areas too. Uh, obviously, uh, things like uh, face detection, automatic face detection, or autonomous cars have more popularized um, AI, including the robotics. Uh, but uh, I would say nothing to worry. There's a lot more research to happen. But uh, AI is that summary of techniques that have been existing in statistics, uh, which could be used to to extract more wisdom from the data. How do you go about ensuring when you start to apply technologies that you're that you're really using the appropriate techniques? I mean, there's a there's a big grab bag of of you know, technologies and and approaches. I mean, and and it's it's not necessarily clear what the best application is you know how do you how do you think about you know employing uh you know the, the right technology and fitting it to uh you know to to get the the best results from a uh from a business problem uh, yeah uh even though ai is more of a science identifying the right technique from among a bunch of techniques available is still an art um, it may sound a little funny, but uh, many of the AI scientists, uh, they do have access to so many different tools, techniques, methods, and methodologies and frameworks. But identifying the right technique, right framework, right parameters, and right type of uh, architecture still uh, happens to be more of an art. Um, if you read some of the technical papers being published, uh, uh, people, of course, only talk about the successful stories and they don't talk about the failure stories, and I wish they did that. Um, but many of these success stories, when you look at carefully, uh, uh, the, the techniques they are picking are uh, are from hundreds or even thousands of techniques available. Uh, for example, in um, machine learning, especially area of study called predictive modeling, uh, there are apparently around 5,000 known statistical techniques available that could be applied to um, uh, applied in, in the context of machine learning to extract wisdom. For example, predicting uh, when a machine is going to fail or remaining uh, computing the remaining useful life or so many similar situations. But not a single human being can effectively remember or understand how to implement each of those 5,000 techniques. Um, of course, the frameworks being developed by some of the innovative companies are really helping and helping the developers to develop a solution faster using any of the technique. But real intelligence and real uh, uh, critical thinking and real uh, 
art is to identify the right technique. Uh, so, thankfully, uh, the open sourcing world and uh, the the mentality and attitude of publishing papers and uh, the positive approach among research uh, organizations, universities, and companies to collaborate and and and, and work together is helping uh, uh, reduce the hit and trial approach, but uh, by developing certain science scientific methods. But AI, especially identifying the right technique with an AI, still, uh, in my opinion is an art. And, and it takes a lot of uh, uh, critical thinking among AI scientists and good amount of discussion among uh, among the research uh, scientists. The technology, as you mentioned, has been around for a long time, but it's, it's only been in the last few years where we've really seen this, uh, you know, the, I guess, a, a, you know, a, a widespread adoption or accelerating adoption. Um, could you, you know, why was that? Why did, why did AI go through this uh, the AI winter in, in the early stages and, and have, you know, can you point to any, uh, you know, any factors that have, that have significantly changed that have, you know, that have really been catalysts for, you know, for adoption of AI technologies? Mm-hmm. Uh, the techniques that's being used today were, uh, did exist even, I think, 30, 40 years, even 50 years ago. Uh, but I think the tremendous amount of uh, acceleration you see in AI adoption or AI comp- uh, uh, solutions are because of a few factors. Uh, one is, of course, uh, the the cheaper hardware that's used to compute a large amount of data. Uh, uh, next is the cloud service available. People don't have to own machines anymore. You can just rent the machines. That's another innovative uh, idea that came out in the last 10 years. Uh, next is the easier availability of data sets, especially in... Uh, Uh, Predictive modeling, image processing, or natural language processing, all of these areas need huge amount of data. And uh, many of the research institutions and uh, universities and companies are more willing to share this data. And that's another factor which which is uh, helping. And uh, last but not the least, I think uh, some of the initial successes shown by uh, maybe I think the tech companies uh, implementing AI in certain social media contexts has really uh, proven to the executives of companies and also, I think, as heads of states to develop more confidence in AI and, and implementation of AI solutions. Uh, these are some other factors, uh, but at the same time, uh, of course, people talk about uh, AI winter. Uh, of course, uh, there was a little bit of a lull period for the last 20 years, um, but I think, uh, I, I feel there is still a little bit of a lull going on in the sense that there could be more excitement, more energy, more supply of resources, more use cases, more data, uh, more innovative techniques that could come in to make uh, AI uh, uh, a common day-to-day activity. Uh, right now, I think AI is still uh, um, a sort of an alien subject for many, many people because you don't have enough talented people at this point of time. But I, I would imagine in a couple of years, uh, things would uh, accelerate. And then I would definitely say, uh, the the AI winter is gone. Now I can see the spring coming in, and then eventually the summer is going to come. Are, are there some factors you think that could help ease that shortage of of uh, you know skilled AI people? I mean, I think that's a uh, certainly a constraint on adoption. But uh, you know, what 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 could help to uh, you know to ease the ease the shortage or make it you know make the technology simpler to use? Um, good question. I think it's a little complicated question, I guess, uh, because of the demand supply 
the demand is pulling uh, the even the basic uh, forces of supply. Let me explain what that means. Uh, there are instances where uh, university students uh, are quitting their education halfway through and joining companies because uh, they have learned part of the AI knowledge and that seems to be quite sufficient for the company which is trying to hire them and they are actively encouraging them to quit and then come back, uh, come to work and they can always go back sometime later, which I don't know when it's going to happen. Another situation is uh, I'm, I'm told... Uh, Many universities are running short on the faculty because I think uh, uh, the AI experts would rather work uh, in, in a company uh, and solve really exciting challenges because they have access to good data sets and good uh, computing power. And of course, money is not bad too uh, compared to the universities and that's, that's, that's definitely not helping. Now, your question is, how do we solve it? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think over a period of time, things will uh, the gap will reduce the, between the demand and, and supply. Um, but I think uh, investment from various uh, governments, I think various countries uh, in, in these, I think would definitely help. Um, also, many of the universities which are extremely uh, rich with endowments, I think they could also invest more in creating labs and, and, and uh, encouraging the faculty to stay back and encouraging the students to complete the courses, which will also help them. Um, I, I do have a, a little more fundamental uh, suggestion um, many high schoolers, uh, the 11th and 12th graders, I think, could also start learning programming and start learning some critical thinking techniques, which will make it easier for them when they enter graduation studies. Uh, they could quickly pick up AI and hence uh, 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 the availability of resources also would be addressed in that sense. But, but there's no other uh, technique uh, um, I don't want to get into the topic of visas and immigration, but uh, uh -huh. definitely I think companies yeah. need to, uh, the governments need to invest in creating resources internally by uh, making it easy for students to join these courses. Yeah, it's no, there's no doubt. I mean, we uh, highlighted in a, in a recent webinar that there's been an enormous amount of interest in AI on the national level. I think Germany's trying to catch up with with other countries because it feels like it's falling behind, particularly with the application of AI to Industry 4.0. And of course, you have you know a couple of uh, you know many billions of dollars being invested on on the military side. But yeah, clearly there's there uh, it would be great to have you know, more engagement and, and more ease of use. Uh, you know, are there, you know, when you look at particular uh, either events or developments or, or people in the market that have, that have had a big, you know, big impact, um, you know, particularly on you, your views of the market, are, you know, are there any that stand out? Uh, sure. Uh, there are, of course, uh, similar to uh, media and uh, social social media and, and the regular media in AI too has its own share of celebrities and I do uh, uh, adore some of the celebrities who have really created uh, uh, fantastic AI techniques and solutions. Um, at the same time, uh, some of the good companies, fantastic innovative companies, have invested resources and developed uh, uh, techniques and developed data sets uh, for. Uh, for the common people uh, to start adopting AI in, in their respective areas of work. Uh, but I think a couple of, uh, uh, instead of mentioning the names of the companies or names of people, I would like to mention a couple of uh, techniques that have definitely accelerated the AI uh, adoption in the world. Uh, one of the first, uh, I think, uh, one of the top technique uh, which, which really accelerated was the invention 
on adoption of CNNs, convolutional neural networks, uh, in using uh, to, to, to process images. That's, that was uh, done in 2012. And... Since then, uh, neural network architectures based on CNNs have tremendously improved uh, the accuracy rates uh, where uh, uh, CNN-based image processing models uh, can accurately uh, predict an image uh, even as high as uh, 99 point, uh, I don't know, 95, 97, 98, uh, which, is, which is really amazingly better than even human beings. That's uh, one technique, uh, one uh, technology update. The second is, um, I remember even as recently as four or five years ago, uh, when you run a neural network model, there is a concept called backpropagation. Uh, backpropagation is the way neural network learns. Um, every time it makes a mistake or every time it, it makes a right answer, predicts the right answer, it learns what made it do the, pick the right answer and what made it pick the wrong answer. That's called backpropagation. Until three, four years ago, it was uh, it was a cumbersome process and it was a complex process for developers uh, writing software programs that do the backpropagation. It was not it was not an impossible task, but it was a, a difficult task. Sometimes, if you make an error, it's it it was difficult to even catch that you made an error in the backpropagation. But in the last two years, uh, some of the uh, frameworks that have been released to open source uh, have addressed the backpropagation in such a way that backpropagation now is automatic. You don't even need to write a single line of code to make uh, the, the neural network learn using backpropagation. It is such a, a tremendous boost in, in, in the productivity. Um, I remember um, uh, two or three years ago, I wrote uh, an open source, uh, a simple uh, semantic, uh, sorry, uh, sentiment analysis uh, solution using neural networks. Um, and if, when I had to do three, four years ago, I had to spend a lot of time and write lots of lines of code just for backpropagation. And because um, just two years ago when I was doing it, there was no need for backpropagation. The entire sentiment analysis model on a small data set of about 10,000 tweets took only 23 lines of code, which is a tremendous boost in the, in the productivity. So that was another technique which which uh, really made a tremendous impact. Uh, topics like uh, GANs, generative adversarial networks, and reinforcement learning uh, is another technique which has tremendously improved the way models can learn such complex, intricate, confusing tasks for human beings and extract wisdom out of it. These are some of the uh, uh, history impacting. AI history impacting techniques that were invented in the last three or four years. And hence, they also in turn were some of the reasons why the AI adoption is accelerating because people can make, uh, people feel it more easy to adopt and more easy to develop a neural network. Yeah, GANs I've heard applied to security in particular. Could you explain a bit about what um, you know? What what uh, you know? What what characterizes a uh, um, you know? I, I guess a you know a, a GANs setup. Or implementation, yeah. as it were. Uh, certain use cases in neural network, when you want to detect fraud or when you want to uh, identify images more accurately, there were not enough examples to show to the model what is a right image or what is a right transaction and what is a fraud transaction or what is a wrong image. Um, the concept of uh, GANs was nothing else but two independent neural networks 
uh, one neural network creates uh, some image and tells the other neural network, oh, this is the right image. And the second neural network tries to find out whether this is definitely the right image or not. And the response of the second neural network is given to the first neural network, which say, huh, so you figured out that I gave you a wrong image. So I'm actually going to create a little more complex and a little more sophisticated image, which is even more difficult for you to figure out it's, it's a, a fake image or a wrong image. And you, this back and forth duel goes on, and eventually the neural network becomes an extremely intelligent network to create a fake and also to detect a fake. So these GANs are being used in many, many use cases, financial services, healthcare, image processing are being used. Um, I personally believe the real potential is yet to be tapped. Uh, even though there are fantastic GANs-based solutions available, um, I do see a lot of innovation creativity within GANs uh, where there are newer variations of GANs coming out uh, in, by having new names like big GAN, circle GAN, cycle GAN, there's so many different GANs coming in, and and I believe I think we are not even uh, touched the uh, touch the one uh, percent of the potential of uh, GANs. Yeah, that's really uh, really impressive, and, and I guess what strikes me is that the technology itself is evolving to the point where it can, you know, it can in, almost improve itself. Uh, I guess deep learning was, uh, was a, was a key breakthrough in that, uh, in that regard where you need less and less programming involved or you need to write less code. But, you know, as you look at the market, I mean, are there, uh, are, are there any broader forces or bigger secular forces that you see as, you know, accelerating the, you know, the maturity of the, of the technology and, and also enabling adoption uh, mm -hmm. more easily? Yeah. Uh, it, there are many forces happening. One is uh, the willingness of innovative companies to open source the solutions is one, and the willingness of universities and the innovative companies to open source their data sets and also publish uh, uh, their innovative solutions in AI. Uh, more and more universities are offering courses uh, uh, in AI and hence creating more and more AI engineers so that they could address more. Uh, many heads of companies and heads of governments are getting convinced on the potential of AI. And many governments, like you mentioned, Germany, and of course, there are so many other governments have, have introduced policy documents which will uh, 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 encourage and support the adoption of AI by investing government money and also making it easier for companies to invest in, in these areas. Uh, the the it's, it's almost like a snowballing effect, too. I think the more the companies are adopting, the more uh, success stories are being heard in the news media and the more universities are willing to create more students. I think it's creating a snowballing effect where uh, a lot more companies are, uh, are ready to hire and a lot more students are getting ready to learn AI and, and, and getting into it. Also, uh, the frameworks, as I mentioned earlier, it's making it easy to develop solutions uh, compared to, let's say, two or three years ago. Um, and uh, some of the hardware companies uh, which are uh, inventing better, faster, cheaper GPUs or even TPUs or FPGAs. So custom-developed hardware is also facilitating uh, the acceleration of AI and, and uh, the combination of availability of data, availability of techniques, availability of frameworks, and uh, 
uh, good uh, computing infrastructure is helping both the universities, companies, and countries to adopt AI. Yeah, hopefully some of those uh, some of the supply of GPU chips will free up now that the crypto mining market market has crashed. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to just uh, you know turn to applications, and one of the areas that we're focused on at Momenta is industrial IoT, and I would love to get your perspective on some of the ways that applied. AI and and machine learning can you know can really you know, drive meaningful impact across uh, in, industrial uh, IoT use cases. Mm -hmm. uh, similar to digital transformation or any dramatic transformation in the last let's say 100 to 200 years of industrial world, uh, AI has been adopted more actively by certain industries like high tech, uh, financial services, healthcare. And uh, there are certain industries where are very slow in adopting, and unfortunately, that happens to be Industry 4.0. Many uh, uh, industries or companies, uh, let's say in manufacturing, mining, agriculture, um, uh, any any factories, any of these uh, uh, Industry 4.0 solutions, uh, the companies they are a little slow in adopting um, uh, AI. My current focus is uh, making it easier for organizations to identify uh, those business challenges that could be converted into AI challenges and identifying easier and simpler solutions that can be uh, the so-called low-hanging fruit uh, that can be immediately implemented. Um, also identify data within the organization or sometimes get, it, get the data from a third-party organization or sometimes maybe synthetically, cre synthet synthetically creating data set uh, 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 that will go in, in creating a solution uh, are, are being advocated. Uh, for example, in Industry 4.0, uh, one of the most common use case, which is more readily solvable, um, is uh, doing predictive modeling of the machines. For example, when my machine is going to fail, whether it's a, a massively expensive truck or any, a machine uh, in the factory or even a, a very simple uh, uh, mechanical device that you're using in a construction site, companies want to find out when a machine is going to fail or when a component is going to fail so that you can do some preventive uh, care or maybe you can do other uh, uh, mitigation activities so that your work doesn't get affected. That's one of the most common uh, use cases. Um, there are good solutions available, good data sets available that could be solved. Uh, that's where I think uh, the Industry 4.0 is going right now. I would not see any dramatic difference in the adoption rate of the Industry 4.0 companies in, in the new technology like AI compared to any other new technology. And, and uh, the cycles are longer there, and, and I'm, I'm aware of that. But as, as a personal mission, I've been talking to um, various CXO level uh, people, and then I do understand uh, uh, the risk appetites and the investment opportunities there in, in the industry 4.0. Uh, but uh, I, I, when I talk and explain about some of the simpler use cases that could be solved, I do see the willingness in the in CXOs to adopt uh, AI in uh, industry 4.0. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, certainly there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. I, 
I wanted to circle back to the uh, you know, financial services and healthcare, uh, at, at least as a starting point, to discuss the issue of uh, algorithmic bias or uh, you know e- ethical issues in in AI. And there's there's quite a bit of debate around that. I I think we saw a number of very well known uh, scientists and researchers come together and draft the 23 Asilomar principles for uh, really to guide uh, artificial general intelligence. But I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, how to how to think about ethics, how, how to apply ethics, particularly when you're looking at applied AI as it concerns uh, data about people, of which there is there is so much, you know, floating around in the, uh, you know, uh, on the Internet. Yeah. Ethics and bias are two massively complex uh, topics uh, within AI. Uh, Let me talk about uh, bias first, and then I'll come to the ethics and and connect them together. Uh, Models, AI models, will learn based on the data you give. And sometimes, uh, even though the models are not making a mistake, but just because the data, what you are feeding in, uh, was historical data, which has lots of biases going in, the model also behaves in the same biased fashion. And there are good number of uh, industry uh, examples uh, from even companies which are otherwise innovative companies made tremendous mistakes uh, when they did not really pay attention to the bias of the data that's coming in. Bias introduced because of data, bias introduced because of uh, lack of uh, a smart neural network architecture, or bias introduced because of not able to, able to pick the right machine learning technique, are some of the factors I see reflected in products uh, either failing or products not being accepted by the for the user community because they just don't seem to be performing well, especially some, some of the uh, edge cases or the corner cases which which reflect bias. And bias is, is definitely a, a huge issue. Uh, in AI world, bias has not uh, got the attention what it deserves uh, until two years ago. Uh, in the last year and two, um, more and more uh, research institutions, universities and companies and uh, AI celebrities are emphasizing the importance of discussing bias and uh, Uh, In data science, uh, when data science are being taught about how to process the data and what data to consider, um, an an additional complex task that need to be taught to data scientists is what data that need to be dropped. Because if you are aware of bias, uh, then you can uh, can look at the possibilities of bias coming in in, during the data. Um, Many people may not know this. Uh, I was doing a research on biases, how many human biases exist. I'm told there are 175 scientifically proven human biases that exist, and those exist in every human being. They just don't know them. Um, I I went to Wikipedia and did all the research and also talked to so many people. There are so much of bias which uh, all of us human beings have. doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female or um, which country you come from or what age group you belong to. People, I think, just have their own set of biases, and people have to be extremely careful when they're designing models uh, with the data and uh, the architecture that may let the bias creep in. Ethics is another important and complex factor. Uh, what is the right uh, uh, application of the use case that you can use 
can you use AI-based applications to uh, uh, further um, endanger uh, humanity? For example, uh, if if an application AI application is uh, uh, supporting discrimination, or you are um, you are un- un- unknowingly uh, giving lesser opportunities for certain um, age groups or certain gender people, uh, and and that's because the ethics are not really being thought through. Uh, and again, similar to bias, uh, it did not get in its its attention due till the last two years. And in the last one or two years, I think a lot more people are talking about uh, ethics and how to be how to develop products which are ethically safe. And that could apply not just uh, based on uh, the developed countries versus developing countries or uh, men versus women or the uh, or the rich or the poor, but I think uh, everyone, I think, has to contribute for the ethical discussion. So I don't think uh, there are, of course, sporadic uh, successes in uh, discussions about biases and about ethics, but I think uh, we have not uh, reached a state where we have a uniform understanding, we have a uniform, uh, maybe I think, uh, standard guidelines and how to avoid bias and how to avoid, uh, how to comply with the ethics. Um, but I think a lot more need to be done, and I would I would encourage all the AI celebrities, uh, uh, people uh, with strong opinions, and opinion leaders uh, should come forward and discuss more these two, so that um, we don't have to learn uh, uh, what mistakes we made after ten years of deploying AI. But I would rather encourage them to start uh, discussing these two important and complex topics of ethics and bias, even. Uh, when AI itself is in an infancy, so that uh, you find a very healthy, uh, uh, useful AI gets developed in the new course. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really going to be critical. And of course, AI has been a topic that has seen an enormous amount of hype and uh, misinformation or mischaracterization. A lot of it is dystopian. But uh, you know how how would you you know counsel a you know a company that's looking to to implement uh, you know or or test out AI to really to sort through some of the, uh, maybe some of the unrealistic expectations or the, you know, how, how do you cut through the hype and figure out what's real and, and you know, arrive at uh, use cases and, and a, you know, a strategic roadmap for, for implementation that's, uh, that's going to be realistic and, and re- result in, you know, in the best outcomes? Yeah. Um. I have spoken on this topic in a few conferences and uh, my YouTube channel actually has some videos where I talk about how to adopt AI in organizations, especially addressing the CXOs. Um, Like any major technology transformation uh, topic or if a company has gone through some digital transformation initiative, AI transformation, AI adoption is no different. Uh, organizations have to figure out why they want to adopt AI. AI is not a panacea. It does not solve all the problems. So there has to be um, a proper, thoughtful action before AI is adopted. And at the same time, organizations, uh, uh, historically, whenever they adopt a new technology, they always do uh, a proof of concept or a pilot of, of, uh, of adoption. 
some companies have done that. Some companies have taken the opposite approach of doing a big bang. Uh, the, the companies have to have a proper strategy and identify what areas, what business challenges could be addressed using AI solutions. And uh, uh, last but not the least, I think managing the change, uh, change in the organization, that includes your communications, making a plan, communicating the plan, identifying the right talent, training the people, um, uh, watching carefully the impact on the jobs. And of course, typically any new technology, I think there would be some impact on the jobs and how companies can uh, uh, carefully plan for that and then skill and reskill some other uh, uh, resources affected by that. So uh, th there are the entire gamut of activities, uh, starting with the strategy, starting with the proper critical thinking, getting uh, uh, the opinion leaders in the organization rally behind AI, identifying the right talent, identifying some of the low-hanging fruit that need to be addressed, or identifying uh, the, the biggest bank, bank for buck uh, type of use cases, and carefully uh, implementing it, monitoring it, and seeing that the, the metrics, whatever have been identified as part of the plan, are being accomplished is... Uh, the typical standard method I would encourage uh, companies or CXOs to go for. And then, of course, there are so many other uh, uh, good ideas and bad ideas and do's and don'ts, and which are part of my presentation. I, I encourage uh, your listeners to go, back, go to my uh, YouTube channel, that's SKRD99, and watch for some of those videos. Well, we'll definitely include that uh, resource in, in our show notes as well. Um, I, I wanted to just ask, as we look forward into the future, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you see the market evolving? And I always like to ask about, you know, what you're most optimistic about and, and what might be some concerns that keep you up at night? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the optimistic first. I think we can talk about concerns later. Uh, I'm quite optimistic. I think AI is going to solve large number of uh, challenges and use cases that I think people are having in their uh, workplaces and their personal lives too. Uh, I think AI would make uh, life easier, safer, better, and more productive uh, for uh, not just individuals, not just companies, but also, I think, countries and communities. Uh, uh, this could be applied in agriculture, in mining, in transportation, healthcare, financial services, uh, um, anything, whatever I think touches the human life. So I, I, I'm, I'm quite optimistic in that. I'm also optimistic at the availability of technology becoming cheaper and easier uh, by having more open source solutions, uh, the computing infrastructure and data sets availability and newer techniques being invented, which, which, will, uh, which will not demand too much of data. That, that's another optimism I, I carry with me. Uh, another optimism is, I think, uh, because of the widespread, uh, or rather growing widespread acceptability of AI, uh, and also some examples of certain companies, including, like you mentioned, I think Germany, uh, Switzerland, United States, China, and so many other uh, countries for coming forward to, to declare the policy documents in AI, there will be even wider adoption and some other countries which are not uh, um, as advanced as some other countries, I think there would be uh, some uh, 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 collaboration across uh, the countries to help each other and go forward. And that, that's, that's another optimism I carry with me in terms of AI. Uh, so uh, digital transformation that came in, let's say, 10, 15 years ago and, and helped organizations do business intelligence and analytics, now the next uh, natural uh, action AI being adopted would further help companies, I think, produce better solutions and, and help uh, the individuals. I think this is these are some of the optimisms I carry with me. Concerns, I think uh, the cost of infrastructure for AI is, is even though it's falling, but it's not falling fast enough. Uh, 
the availability of data sets, even though it's really, really improved compared to, let's say, even as recent as two or three years ago, uh, especially in image processing, I, I know the large number of data sets available, but I think we need to have more and more data sets, more and more companies collaborating with each other and, and, and uh, sharing the data sets, whether it's in healthcare services, financial insurance industry 4.0, I think there's tremendous opportunity there. And that's what my, I'm concerned. I think it's not fast enough. Next, uh, uh, fast enough, another concern is uh, um, that there's so much of a demand and more and more companies and countries see the benefit of AI, but we don't have enough talent in the market available who could do it. And hence, uh, this demand supply is, is really creating good amount of heartburn among companies and countries. So that, that's another concern I have. Uh, other than this, I think I'm a lot more optimistic and I think uh, AI would solve um, many, many uh, use cases. There are a large number of use, use cases, whether it's in uh, healthcare, industry 4.0, financial services, insurance services, transportation. I think there's so many use cases still need to be addressed with the existing technology um, without even worrying about the future technology or future innovations. Uh, I am so optimistic that we can solve and we should solve some of these use cases right away. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's no, it's been such a uh, such great insights, uh, you know, from you know from your uh, from this conversation. Um, you know, I always like to ask, uh, you know, as a final question, uh, a recommendation or a book recommendation. I know you're a, you're a pretty avid reader. Uh, do you have have any recommendations you could share for the uh, for our, for our listeners? Sure, um, I do have a couple of books, and uh, before I mention the names of the books, uh, I would like to. Uh, mention uh, what my father used to tell me all the time when I was growing up. Uh, he used to always say, if you don't read, there's no difference between you and a donkey. And of course, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that's a, a, a tough way my father used to tell me and uh, that how important it is for one to read. And, and that's what made me uh, a reader of many uh, non-technology books too. A uh, couple of books which have really attracted my attention in the recent past, I would like to recommend for your listeners. Uh, one is a book uh, by name, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Uh, was a fantastic book of uh, that explains how people form habits, especially bad, bad habits. And um, he also talks about research and how people can uh, effectively adopt good habits. Another book, uh, is a, a fantastic book, is, uh, is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, which talks about uh, um, people, how they achieve super performance and what seems to be the reason for that. Um, and also, I think another book by Malcolm Gladwell is David and Goliath, which talks about companies uh, and individuals or even applies to countries too. Uh, some of the strengths... Uh, an individual or a company believes it's a strength is no more a, a strength and it's actually a weakness. And some of the weaknesses, what they think is a weakness, is no more a weakness, but it's actually a strength. And it's a very uh, uh, intelligent logic. And I think I would urge uh, your listeners to read that book too. Uh, one book which I recently read uh, is uh, titled Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior by Arif Brafman and his, uh, I think, brother, Ron Brafman, I think, is, is a fantastic uh, book that explains why human beings make mistakes, even rational human beings make mistakes, uh, uh, and what seems to be the thought process behind that and would be a good insight. 
for everyone. I'm told uh, a fantastic leader would have a very high amount of self-awareness. Uh, so if any one of you want to become a leader, I think you need to have a good amount of uh, insight about yourself, which includes what do you like, what you don't like, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, uh, what is it you can do well, what is it you cannot do well, what is it you really uh, enjoy and what you don't enjoy. This, this type of insights is extremely important. And uh, the books like uh, Sway, uh, The Outliers, and David and Goliath, and The Power of Habit, I think definitely help uh, your listeners to become uh, even better leaders. Well, those are great recommendations, and I can see how well they would be applicable to uh, understanding AI and machine learning and, and just general uh, general intelligence as it applies to business. So uh, so this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Again, it's Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners, and our guest uh, has been SK Reddy, who uh, heads up uh, strategy uh, or the chief product officer, I'm sorry, in, in AI at Hexagon. And, and he's an inter- entrepreneur and technologist. And uh, we'll have a lot of the uh, the, the, the source of resources referenced in the show notes. And I, I recommend that everybody go to uh, to SK's YouTube channel for, you know, for, for further uh, further insights. So thank you so much for taking the time once again. Uh, thank you, Ed. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys giving the opportunity for me to talk to you. I uh, hope uh, your listeners, I think, uh, benefit something uh, from my conversation with you. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.